<laughs> Thank you, Brian. You know, half the time I can't tell if you're being serious or sarcastic. But it's all good, right? So, um, yeah, come for retreat. Um, also, uh, our groups are going to be starting up this upcoming week or so. And so it's really exciting. This year we have um, seven groups with either, uh, that are either new groups or with new leaders. And so I think this is a really unique time if you're kind of new to our community looking for a space to belong, to kind of jump in. And so, um, yeah, Becca, David, you and I are actually leading a Sunday afternoon group. We'd love to invite you. That starts next Sunday. So just go to the website. There's a lot more information there, or you can pick up a handout on your way out. So anyways, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Access, and um, I just want to welcome you guys today to our worship gathering. Uh, Before we dive into the message, let me take a moment to pray. Lord, we are... We acknowledge that you are here with us. We thank you for the rich time of worship, to set our eyes on just this reckless love that you have for us, God. Man, it's amazing. And I pray that uh, as, we, as we read your word, as we hear your, your message, God, that we would allow your Holy Spirit, the one who rose Christ from the dead and started this revolution of hope, to speak to us this morning to speak through me, God. So thank you for this people and this church and the vision that you've placed in our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, I wanted to start with a question, just an informal poll. I'm very curious to know uh, how many languages that we speak here at Access. So just, I mean, like a basic working knowledge, not fluency, like you can find out where the bathroom is or you can ask for milk, that kind of stuff, right? So uh, just, just go ahead and shout out the language that, you know or speak, all right? So we know English, right? What else? What else do we know? Spanish, great. Mandarin, Chinese, yeah? Taiwanese? Korean? Cantonese? A lot of Eastern Asian (laughs) flavored language. What else? Japanese? Vietnamese? ASL? Yeah. What else? French, Ted David, Cindy, you guys can call it Greek or Hebrew. <laughs> I'm like, I don't feel like I can claim that anymore. Any, any other languages? Indonesian? Yeah. I know there's some Portuguese speaking, maybe not right here right now. All right. Uh, any other languages? Maybe Latin? Some of our TCS folks? All right. So cool. That, that's, that's quite a list of languages. And... Uh, You know, it's really interesting if you look at the Bible and trace the evolution of language, you'll find a a really interesting development there. Because if you look from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 11, it kind of talks about how language evolved. In Genesis 1, God gives humanity this mandate. He says, fill the earth, right, and rule over it, take care of it. And the idea was that God was sending people into all the far reaches of the creation he had created, and he wanted people to fill it with the knowledge of God and with culture. But we see that if you trace the narrative, rather than going, people decided to settle. They decided to stay. And rather than try to make God's name great, they decided to make their own names great. And so in Genesis 11, what we see there is that the people have settled and they've built a city. 
And in the center of the city, the crowning feature of the city is a giant tower. And if you read the text there, they say they were building this tower in order to make a, a great name for themselves. This tower, of course, becomes known as the Tower of Babel. And so God finds what happens, and he comes down, and he actually gives them language. And so in the narrative, up to this point, they all share one language. And so at Babel, God gives them various languages so that they can no longer speak to each other and communicate with each other to sort of disunify this effort to build a name for themselves. So I want you to keep that in mind as we continue our conversation on the book of Acts this morning. So last Sunday, Pastor Ted uh, introduced a new series called A Church That Unites Diverse People. And it's a series where we'll be look, looking at the book of Acts, um, this, this incredible and inspiring story that, that kind of chronicles uh, the journey of this small band of Christ followers who would grow to become this global, multi-ethnic, multinational, multi-class movement, which we now call the church. And we'll see that this incredible growth doesn't happen because these disciples are super charismatic or they're great leaders or very clever. Actually, in spite of all that, what we'll see is that they're able to do this because there's something at work within them. The Holy Spirit, which God gifts, he gives it to the, the church. The very, the very presence and power of God, which all of us who follow Jesus now have access to. So in Acts chapter 1, uh, which is what we looked at last Sunday, we leave off with Jesus telling the disciples to wait. Right? Wait for the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, the wait is over. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the disciples, the early disciples, were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Jesus told them to wait for this gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, okay. But they're not really sure what that means. Because up to this point, they had not received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And up to this point, they didn't have any real first-hand knowledge or understanding of what this meant. Sure, Jesus had from time to time talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit, but it's kind of like when you tell like a, a kid, hey, one day you're going to go through puberty, and all these changes are going to happen in your body, and it's going to be this kind of dramatic change of growth. But they look at you like, I, I don't really, that's weird. I don't really know what you're saying. It's one of those things where you actually have to experience it to really understand. And if you're just sitting there wondering, like, did the speaker just compare the coming of the Holy Spirit to puberty? I did. I really did. Uh, but my point is this, okay? They didn't know what to look for or what to expect. Only that it was just one of those things that when it happened, they would know. And so as they're praying together, waiting, 
all of a sudden, something really unusual happens. There's a booming sound, the text says. There's the rush of cool air surrounding them. And then fire. Flames of fire resting on top of their heads, but their heads are not being burned. What is going on? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for wind was the same word that was used for the Spirit of God. And coincidentally, at Pentecost, this Jewish festival in which this event, these events take place, Pentecost celebrated and remembered the time when God gave the law at Mount Sinai. And if you read that account in Exodus, you'll see that God's presence was preceded with thunder and lightning, right? These booming sounds. And God's presence was manifested as fire. And so I think as this was unfolding, the disciples were looking around and these images, these symbols that had been associated with God of the Old Testament suddenly maybe come to their mind and they're realizing, oh my goodness, this, this is it. It's happening now. The Spirit is here. And then they opened their mouths and what came out of their mouths surprised them. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So in the New Testament, uh, there are at least two types of tongues that are referred to. Uh, Paul talks about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. And so most commentators, interpreters kind of believe that there are basically two types of tongues. The tongues of men, which are human languages, known human languages like Indonesian and Mandarin and English. And then there are tongues of angels which would be uh, a spiritual utterance, uh, a type of non-human language. And these days in the church, like if you talk in the church world and people say, oh, I speak in tongues, usually they're referring to this latter type. It's a form of prayer language. Um, and uh, these days, uh, the former, I've heard of reports of the former as well. But in the story that we're reading today, it becomes abundantly clear that what's being referenced is number one. These are known human languages, human tongues that are being spoken. Let's continue. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonder of God in our own. So a crowd gathers as this spectacle unfolds. And the crowd is made up of a diverse group of Jews from, who hail from all parts of the Roman Empire. So you, we have to recall that years preceding this, the Jews had been laid captive and they were exiled. They were scattered to all the places of the known empire. And in that time, these Jews would inhabit these foreign lands and then they would eventually become Bicultural, bilingual, 
learning the language of the region they inhabited while maintaining an understanding of Hebrew. And at various points, these Jews would return from the diaspora and they would come back to Jerusalem either to observe uh, this festival in Jerusalem, either as visitors, or they would relocate and come back home. It's kind of akin to how one might find a Chinese restaurant wherever you go in the world, right? You can go to France, Mexico, West Texas, it doesn't matter. Uh, You have ethnically uh, Chinese people becoming a part of the local culture, adopting some of its customs, becoming rooted in that place, and then also setting up shop and, and bringing their culture to bear. So this is in Roswell, New Mexico. I, I didn't take that. I just found this on Google, right? Um, but you'll notice that Luke names 15 places and peoples, each with a different dialect, a different language, and a different culture. And incredibly, The disciples are speaking in a multitude of languages which they did not know, right? They're testifying to who God is and what he's done in these languages which they did not know, and the Holy Spirit's empowering that. So the closest experience I've ever had to anything like this was on a mission trip when I was in college. Uh, I went to Taiwan, uh, and I had the, um, the opportunity to preach the gospel to a group of like 20 or 30 uh, Chinese kids that were sitting in this small church. Now, I don't know how to speak Mandarin or Taiwanese. Uh, and yet, as I was up there, you know, in front of them, just trembling but full of God's love for these kids and passion, it's as if all of a sudden, every, like every single Chinese word that I had ever heard in my life just came to my mind. And uh, so, with as much boldness as I could, I told them, I was like, woman buhao, right? <laughs> Which translated, for those of you guys who don't know Mandarin, means we are not good, okay? I was trying to convey, you know, we're all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God, but I didn't know how to do that, so woman buhao would have to suffice, okay? And then I told them, shen hen hao. Which literally translated means God is very good and God loves you. And what I was trying to tell them was that God is holy and righteous. And yes, he is good and God loves you even though we are all sinners. And I was, you know, just preaching my heart out to them, trying to share the gospel of God's love. And they're looking at me like, man, your Chinese is really sad. (laughs) But we could tell you're trying and that you care about us. And so amazingly, amazingly, like during the invitation, I don't even know how I made the invitation in in Chinese, but like a bunch of them raised their hands, you know, to receive Christ. And it was like all, maybe they were just getting snacks or something, but whatever. It was a really powerful moment of seeing God at work through my limited, very limited language ability. But this is like on a whole other level. These people are hearing God's love proclaimed to them crystal clear, eloquently, by these people who should not know their language. And it says something to them. And of course, they're amazed. And so this is what the text says. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does Pentecost mean to us? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. 
Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So there are two very important questions that will help us understand and appreciate Acts 2. The first is, what happened in Acts 2? And the second is this, what does this mean? And so if I were to just give a summary of kind of what we've talked about thus far, what happened, it would go something like this, that Jesus Christ was the epicenter of God's coming kingdom. And he had risen from the dead and unleashed a power, right? A power into the world, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this spirit was going to empower this ragtag group of disciples to fulfill a vision. A vision articulated in chapter 1, verse 8. That you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so at Pentecost, in Acts 2, this vision was beginning to become fulfilled. These Jewish disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, begin to speak languages they do not know, bearing witness to God in the city of Jerusalem. That's what happened. But equally important, if not more important, is the question of what does this mean? What does this mean for the church? What does this mean for us? And so I want to offer a few different ways of answering this question of what does this mean? First, it means that the Spirit brings a new kind of influence. You know, so we read in that text that people don't know what to make of it, so they assume that the people must be under the influence. But Peter quickly refutes them. Y'all, it's only 9 a.m., and so apparently they didn't have mimosas back then, right? The church grew, and it grew because it was under a different kind of influence, influence of the spirit of god and this influence would manifest itself throughout the church's history in expressions of radical love generosity perseverance through intense suffering courage and it would also manifest itself in supernatural ways and note what peter says as he quotes joel chapter 2 he says the time has come The Spirit of God is being poured out onto all people. And that's really important for us to hear. Because what that says is that this coming kingdom in which Jesus has created this earthquake, it's it's a time when all people, not just Jewish people, not just people who are in or out, all people who trust in God have access to the Holy Spirit. And I think this is really critical for us. Our vision is to become a church that unites diverse people. And this vision is utterly impossible. It is utterly impossible if we're just going to try to accomplish this vision by trying really hard. I will tell you right off the bat, we cannot do this. We cannot accomplish this vision. But empowered by the Holy Spirit, if you and I begin to learn what it means to depend on God through the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit 
transform us, teach us, empower us, then yes, this vision is not just possible, it is likely, it is something that God wants and will feel and make happen. Second, what does this mean? Another way of answering this question is this. It means that it's not enough to just proclaim the good news. In order for good news to be received as good news, it must be translated into the language and culture of the people who are hearing it. Do you catch that? It's not just enough just to shout out the good news, right? Indiscriminately. It's really important that the bearers of the message, we come and we try to understand the language, the culture, the customs of the people with whom we are seeking to share the love of God. Keep in mind that when this happened, the Spirit could have just as easily have enabled uh, the hearers to just understand a language they didn't understand, right? That's, that, was, that would have been a totally legitimate way for the message to get across. Empower the hearers to supernaturally understand a language they don't understand, they don't know. But instead, the Spirit enables the speakers, right, to speak a language they do not know so that those who are hearing it hear the good news spoken in their own language. I think that God did it this way because God wanted people to hear the good news in their own mother tongue in ways that would feel deeply personal, in ways that would feel like home. Uh, you know, growing up, so I didn't learn how to speak Mandarin or Taiwanese in my own, uh, own household. Uh, my parents, who are Taiwanese immigrants, they spoke English to me and my younger brother. They tried to teach my older sisters Mandarin and Taiwanese, but then by us, they gave up, okay? And they just decided, hey, we'll just speak English with them. Uh, but I did grow up kind of hearing them, uh, you know, argue, or they would talk about us in Taiwanese and stuff like that, right? So it, it, was, it was in our household, but it wasn't something I adopted as my own. And yet all these years later, when I'm like at the grocery, at Ranch 99 grocery store, or if I'm like eating at a, like a Chinese cafe, and I overhear an older couple speaking Taiwanese to each other, it, it stirs something for me when I hear that. It, 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 like, I don't know, it feels really familiar. It reminds me of home. Because language has this incredibly you know, personal and emotional quality to it. And so what happened here at Pentecost communicated a really, really important message. It was the message that God sees you. He knows you. He knows your dialect. He knows your, your customs. He knows your culture. He knows the tiny little village that you came from. He knows your people. He knows your nation. He knows you, and he loves you, that this gospel message is for you. And God's spirit, just like the incarnation, it always moves towards and into the lives of the people uh, that God loves and that God is seeking to serve. I think most of us also know that language can also be very divisive and exclusionary. You know, have you ever been uh, with a group of people 
And then all of a sudden, they started speaking a different language to one another, one that you didn't know. And then so maybe, you know, they're speaking, and you're not sure if they're talking about you. You're not sure, you know, they start laughing, and you're not sure if they're making fun of you, uh, you know, or, or they're just trying to ignore you, exclude you, right? Uh, it, it's a very kind of, that can be a very alienating experience. Um, also, a long time ago, uh, long before I became a, a pastor, I once worked as a telemarketer as a, like, during a summer job when I was in college. Um, it wasn't my favorite job, but it was a really interesting experience. And if you've never done it, the way it works is you sit in this room, and there's a computer that's in front of you, this computer auto-dialer. And how it works is uh, it's connected to tel- tel- telephone, and it'll automatically start dialing the phone number of the person that you're trying to call, and then, um, and then, and then the, the name pops up. So you have about like a split second to like, you know, see the name, and then the person usually on the other line saying, oh, hello, and then you say, oh, hello, Mr. or Mrs. Smith, you know, my name is John. Um, just, you know, this was in Ohio, and I was actually calling on behalf of a company that was raising funds for MD Anderson in Houston, right? So it's kind of a, a weird thing. But anyways, uh, so one time I'm sitting there, and the auto dialer starts going on, and I'm waiting for the name to pop up, uh, and then uh, just as the name pops up, uh, it's like a 15 to 20 letter last name. All right. It was a, I think it was an Indian name. And the lady on the other line says, hello. And I look at that thing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's no way I'm going to be able to pronounce this thing. Like, I had no idea. What, I just knew it was an Indian name. I just knew I, I wouldn't be able to say it. And she's like, hello, hello. And then so I just foolishly tried. And then out, out came, I kid you now, like, hi, Mrs. Like, I, that's what I said. And, and, you know, she was not amused, right? And she's like, what do you want, right? And so <laughs> not being able to communicate or say her last name created this automatic distance between us. It's not like we were close <laughs> friends to begin with, right? And so it just made the whole interaction really awkward. When someone's not able to even pronounce your last name, it feels bad, right? It, you, know, you feel a little like separate from them. And so language has this power to divide and to exclude, which brings us back to the Tower of Babel. Because at Babel, language was used to divide and scatter the people. But at Pentecost, the Spirit used language to unify and bring back together. Isn't that incredible? And so at Pentecost, Pentecost represents a stunning reversal of the events of Babel. But take note, the reversal doesn't occur by obliterating all languages, right? It doesn't come by wiping away language differences and having the early church just speak one monolithic language. At Pentecost, those language differences are not only preserved, they're valued. And so this brings to a third way of answering this question of what does it mean? It means that unity is not the same as sameness. That unity is not the same as sameness. We are a church striving for unity in diversity. And it is easy to hear that as a call for sameness, that call for unity as a call for sameness. It's easy to hear that. A more subtle version of that is a call for diversity in name, or appearance only, but not in substance. And what that typically translates to is that there may be a a minority group 
in a majority group that represents the diversity. But that minority group is really asked to assimilate into the majority group, right? To become like the majority group and to, in a sense, give up their difference. Um, at Access, we have a unique sociological dynamic, right? We have a majority. We also have minority. And so on Sunday, if you feel like you're a minority here in this setting on Sundays, you may feel a pressure to assimilate to the prevailing culture that is in this room, whether that's the way we worship or the way we dress or that things are said or the way we listen, right? On the flip side, there are some of us who may be the majority here on Sundays, but Monday through Friday, we, f- we are the minority. And we find ourselves feeling a pressure to assimilate to majority culture, whether that's at work or at the gym. And then you add to all that, all the, all the complexities of uh, being biracial, multi-ethnic, and how that plays out in terms of majority and minority culture. It could be all very confusing. But what's so remarkable about Pentecost is that it shows us something different. It gives us an alternative to the whole minority needing to assimilate to the majority culture. What it says is that actually we're going to preserve and honor our differences even as we form one united body. So the Spirit of God preserves the diversity. It speaks the unique languages of each nation and calls together all this diversity into one united body that's bound by a common faith in Jesus Christ, united by a common power in the Holy Spirit. So let me end by asking this question. What does this mean for us here at Access as we begin this journey of seeking to be a church that unites diverse people? um, I just want to offer two things that I think are really important for us based on what we've talked about today. Um, The first is this, remember your languages. Remember your languages. And what I mean by this is this. I imagine some of these Jews who heard their language being spoken maybe hadn't heard it spoken in years. You know, maybe it was something from their childhood or like a distant past. And as they heard it, maybe it reminded them of who they are or who they were, of the journey that they've taken, their story, their culture. I think that we need to be able to do this really well. That for us to do this journey of becoming a church that unites diverse people, each of us needs to know and understand our own cultural histories, our own ethnic stories, right? Whether we're white or yellow, brown, black, whatever color, right? All of us have a story. And confronting that story means grappling with it and wrestling with the good parts of that culture and that story, as well as being able to acknowledge the hard parts and the not-so-good parts. Because as we do that, we gain a greater self-awareness, we gain greater health, emotional health, uh, spiritual health, and ability to offer that, to offer that as a gift to the community, right? We are going to need that offering from all of us in this room. The second, though, is that we need to learn a new language. Our natural inclination is going to be to stick with the people that speak our own language, isn't it? 
And what I mean by language, I'm not just talking about linguistically. It's natural human tendency just to congregate with other people who share your interests, same life stage, same demographics, same interests, same hobbies, same cultural likes, dislikes, same food, right? That's very natural. But if we're going to pursue this vision, I think the Spirit will push all of us out of our comfort zones and challenge us to dwell in relational spaces where we may not feel naturally at home, right? And we're going to need to learn to speak the language of other people. That may be a linguistic language. That may just mean understanding another person's culture, where they're coming from, their perspective. And that's going to feel hard. That'll feel really, really uncomfortable. Uh, And as we pursue this vision, you know, the reality is this is going to be tempting. Like, this is too hard. Let's Let's just forget. Let's just settle. Let's just settle and build a city for ourselves. But that is not the mandate. That is not the call. And so I want to uh, encourage us as this series unfolds, begin to think about who are the people in your life with whom you can learn to, to enter their world, learn to uh, learn their language, learn their perspective, learn their culture. That might look like... Uh, learning from someone with a different ethnicity, race, maybe someone with a different job or different kind of uh, socioeconomic class. That may be journeying with someone from the LGBTQ community, right? Learning their stories, which has been a very marginalized community in the church, right? Stepping into places where you maybe don't normally step into and taking the posture of a learner because that's what God does, right? He comes and he... He becomes like one of, one of the people. He speaks their language. So that's the challenge for us as we start this journey, right, of being a church that unites diverse people. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for... Uh, the way in which you um, first spoke to that crowd and how you saw fit to speak in their native languages so that they would know that you see them, you see their culture, you see their nation, their village, their people, and you love them. Man, God, I pray that you would help us to have just even a modicum of that same love, that same perspective So as we live in this world that's so uh, multi-everything, that we would learn as people how to speak other people's languages so that they might know the love of God. And for those of us who also need to know our own stories and learn about that, I pray that you would help us as well, God. All of this is a journey, and there's going to be so much failure along the way. We just pray that you would help us that you would help us to be gracious to ourselves and to one another and to receive the grace that you give to us, God. And I thank you that this is ultimately, this is your vision, Lord. And thank you that you've given us the resources that we need through your Son and through the Holy Spirit to live into this beautiful vision. In Jesus' name, amen.
On the first Sunday of the month, our, cha- our church takes communion together. And if you think about it, the broken bread and the juice, they make possible what we are talking about. Christ offered his body on the cross, and his body was broken for us. And in an ironic way, this, you know, the shattered pieces of bread were necessary in order for the body to become unified again. This was necessary. And this blood, this juice, which represents the blood of Christ, was necessary to be shed so that we could be reconciled first with God and then with one another. And so as we take communion, let us remember what Christ has done for us, that this vision uh, is only possible because of him. him. Um, So I'd like us to uh, stand, uh, if possible, uh, and, and let's read these words together from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so the table is open. We welcome uh, all of you who want to come and uh, place your faith in Christ. Let this be that first step of faith to say, yes, Jesus, I want to join you in this work. But first, I needed to receive you. And so this table is open to all who want to begin that journey of faith, okay? And so um, take some time. You can have a seat. Take some time to uh, pray if you need to, to meditate, and then when you're ready, you can come forward. But at this time, I'd like to ask our servers um,